Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast with Darren Mitchell. If you're a sales letter looking to take your leadership to a whole new level, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be exploring tips, techniques, and strategies to help you take your leadership to the exceptional level and allow you to enjoy more money, more meaning, and better sales results. Alrighty, welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. Darren Mitchell here, and uh, I've got another phenomenal guest. Every now and then, I get the opportunity to speak to people uh, on the other side of the world who are doing some phenomenal things in the industry, and today is no exception. So I'd love to welcome to the podcast, Mr. Art Harding. G'day, Art. How are you? Hey, Darren. Nothing more fun than hearing your name pronounced in an <laughs> accent as enjoyable as, as the ones that roll up from down under. Well, the question is, did I pronounce it correctly? Of course, of course. <laughs> Excellent. So, Art, uh, you and I, we've um, we've got uh, similar backgrounds in terms of uh, we've been in sales and we've, we're in sales leadership, but uh, we're on the opposite sides of the world, and we've probably come from different perspectives in terms of of technology. So, uh, you and I have connected on LinkedIn, and it's been a, a great opportunity to have a couple of, couple of conversations with you. Love to love to explore all things sales and sales leadership today, particularly from uh, a 21st century digital transformation perspective. So we're going to dig into all of that. Uh, but before we do, um, rather than me read out this beautiful bio that you've got, um, can you just give the listeners a little bit of background in terms of who is the man Art and what makes him so special? <laughs> yeah, what part makes me special? <laughs> Um, and who you ask and uh, how much time you give them to answer the question. But, uh, you know, in terms of answering who I am, I'm, I'm getting to that point in my career with the gray hair where you start to cringe a little bit. I remember how desperate I was to say I have 20 years of experience in the industry, the prior 20. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I've, I've now been doing it for, you know, 25 plus years. I've had the good fortune of working for some phenomenal companies, uh, VMware, Semantic, Veritas, more recently, New Relic, Riverbed Technologies. Um, but interestingly enough, I kind of wandered out of university knowing nothing else other than I think maybe this computer thing is going to be big and I wanted to travel. So I figured, hey, I should learn how to tap out some code and, and I can go travel around the world consulting, which I did for a bit. But then obviously I migrated into a number of different roles. And from that humble beginning of writing SQL and optimizing data, migrated through project management, services leadership, um, ultimately actually carried a bag as an enterprise seller for Semantic and yep. VMware, yep. Um, and then moved back into leadership of services functions at an uh, on-prem hardware weight acceleration company called Riverbed. Really grew in that role um, as the services function grew along with the company. And then ended up in operations through a private equity transformation of Riverbed, um, which was you know, a big change for me, having been in the field for 20 years, multi-million mile or all the frequent status programs you thought you wanted but never needed, um, only to end up chained to a desk uh, with a title like operations, wondering how did I end up here? Um, thinking I was doing a bit of a tour of duty at the time, to be honest with you, on the path towards an executive role and how beneficial the operational tour would be. But yep. what I uncovered <clears throat> was how integral operations, I think, is going to be in the future of sales, marketing, and services. And that really came together <clears throat> um, at New Relic, which was uh, the company I was at prior to where I'm at today, um, where we had an integrated go-to-market strategy and ops function um, and great leadership um, from the executives that I partnered with to really unpack what operations looks like in a modernized cloud SaaS based yep. company um, yep. with the technology we have today. Man, amazing. So what you're saying is you've got uh, quite a non-traditional pathway to where you are now. And if I look back on a lot of, certainly in my era, and when I say my era, <laughs> it's, it's like 20 odd years ago as well. Uh, many, many salespeople, particularly in the technology space uh, grew up maybe from a, Oh, certainly in my case, a post-sales sort of role. And then I looked at the salespeople at that time who were carrying bags and they're having nice long lunches. They're driving nice cars and uh, they were playing golf as well a couple of days a week. So I thought, how good is this? And I found myself into that sales sort of role. But a lot of the sales guys back then weren't necessarily heavy on the technology. They were more the relationship type, type sellers. So I picked up a, an interesting thing there. You, you were talking about the ops and maybe it was a bit of a tour of duty. Um, 
Can you talk a little bit, because we want to delve into how digital and digitization actually is enhancing our ability to sell uh, in, the, in the market today. Can you just talk a little bit about um, your, I guess, perspectives coming from that non-traditional phase and what you've learned from uh, an ops perspective that's enabled you to be, let's just say, a better, uh, more rounded salesperson and hence now a go-to-market leader? Um, so I think I'd be remiss if I, I was mentioning my journey to this point. Where I've ended up and why we're chatting today is right in the domain of what you're talking about. Is today yep. I'm the COO for um, a go-to-market revenue intelligence company called People AI. Uh, and I was originally a customer of People AI's, primarily because of the mindset and curiosity that you just asked me. Yep. As an ex-technologist, as an ex-post salesperson, and frankly, as an ex-seller, I remember when I first started selling, what shocked me was how capable experienced sellers were on instinct. They were operating primarily on instinct and as a new seller, but mature in my career and that I had planned businesses, I started probably doing a level of planning with an ex-engineering mindset about my sure, calendar sure. and my time and my prospects. That was probably unusual and probably got a few giggles from my peers and managers. Um, I was fortunate enough to make my numbers and make club every year I was in sales. I had a, a consistent track record um, and I was an enterprise seller, major account manager. But it did strike me when I first got into service, into sales, the difference between how maybe a support organization, an engineering organization, or a services organization would both plan and execute and measure. Whereas to your point, there's you know some cliches. And I think these have been unpacked at this point. Everyone knows the sale has evolved beyond pure relationship selling yeah. Uh, yeah. into customers expecting and demanding more from us. But the, the next part is what do we do with that awareness? So we know people buy from people. I, I think even with all the technology conversations we're going to have today, Darren, that ironically enough, as technology makes its way into the buying process, people actually become even more important. Mm. But the expectation of buyers and customers that you know how to use technology and that you know the right time and place um, for doing that toe-to-toe in-person um, engagement, I think that's changing. Right. And I think that's what's making this so challenging is digital transformation is one of these phrases that the tech industry has been selling to people for some time. So much so we, we may want to, you know, vomit a little bit when we hear the term. Um, but it does become know, a bit of a cliche, doesn't it? Sometimes yeah, people just throw it around. But you know, it's but it's real. We know it's real. The question is, what is the impact for for us in our role at our company, depending upon whether it's a new company, a, a long-standing legacy company, whether it's a digital franchise or a non-digital franchise, this is impacting all of us. And I think what kicked off our conversation is, I believe firmly from the first moment I you know, worked with the, the leadership team of, of the prior company I was at, that I thought there was some logic and tighter integration across the operation teams, particularly when you're in some form of a transformation. You're going from SMB to enterprise. You're going from on-prem to SaaS. You're going into a consumption model. When you need to move from two as a go-to-market org, yeah. distributed operating functions can get you there, but if, if you can bring them together and move to where you need to be, and then you can you can even redistribute some of that decision-making authority back out to the business. These are the types of questions we're asking as executives. For the seller and the frontline manager, what this feels like is, gosh, we're buying a lot of tools. There's data everywhere. I don't know what data I should be using. Can I trust this? You know, there's, you know, this combination, there's a lot going on here. So I, I think it's, we all sense it's going on. Hmm. And, you know, one of my main points of view, one of our points of view um, with, with the folks I'm working with today is that we think go-to-market is digitally transforming. And we believe marketing has actually digitally transformed in the past tense. So has post-sales. It hmm. used to be professional services, T&M fixed price. Let's put people on planes. Now it's customer success, subscriptions with embedded education experience, et cetera. Yeah. Marketing, very potentially analog way of doing things 10, 15 years ago. How big do you want the booth to be at the trade show? Should it be a full page ad in the Wall Street Journal or a half page ad? Yeah, yeah. And now we all know marketing is a data heavy, automation intensive discipline, which brings us to our friends in the sales ecosystem, which is, are we digitally transforming and embracing technology? I would argue 
while each of the go-to-market functions is, is modernizing in silos, the sales organization has been modernizing from the inside out and from the bottom up, meaning younger generation sellers, BDRs, SDRs, inside sales reps have been growing up in these digital cockpits with technology. Yeah. As they're maturing, you know, maturing into enterprise leadership roles, I think they're kind of shocked at the lack of technology in tooling available in, in some of our legacy enterprise selling motions. Wow. So just on that point, if you think about, and, and you're so right, the newer, the newer sales people that are coming through probably have a high level of technology aptitude for want of a better term. And so the expectations they have of the organizations they work for are significantly higher, but also thinking about the sales leadership they have. So they're one up manager. They're expecting them to have a higher level of competency of, if you like, around data as well. So from your point of view with that um, as a sort of a platform, what do you think the pressure is now on sales leaders to adapt to the new world? Because let's face it, there are a lot of sales leaders out there who have been in the sales leadership game for quite a while. And maybe some of them, and I'll say this respectfully, maybe some of them are technology laggards, right? And they're not necessarily up to date with all the stuff. And they might be putting things to the side and saying, we don't need all this data. We just do it based on the relationship and use this methodology and off you go. But the expectation of the salespeople is significantly uh, growing and only getting better and, and bigger. So what do you think the pressure is? And how do you think sales leaders today can or should adapt to become more technology savvy in the digital transformation world? I think the challenge we're experiencing as leaders is, is very similar to anyone out there who's a parent um, in today's world. I've got, I've got teens um, that are about to go off to college, but we've moved both in our personal lives and our professional lives from a did you know world, okay? Did you know this? Did you know this? Because technically we all might know just about anything with a few taps of the keys into the right search engine, right? We can, we can discover hmm. almost anything. So we've moved from, did you know, which is what my grandfather and father may have been teaching and telling me like, Hey, son, did you know? And it was very interesting for me to lean in and get the secret. So now the real question is what to do with the knowledge. Yeah. So when we look to coaches and we look to mentors and, you know, I'm very fond and, and obviously, um, have a lot of affection for my grandfather and father. My grandfather used to cut newspaper articles out and hand them to my dad. So my dad used to cut newspaper articles out and hand them to me. <clears throat> there did come a point where recently, you know, he and I had a conversation. Said, dad, I love the info. I love the intelligence. These things are amazing pieces of factoids that you've pulled out of the Wall Street Journal. So I have access to just about every piece of information any person could ever need on the planet. So I'm no longer starving for the data or the information what should I do with all of this? Like, what is the action I should take? Where am I today? Where do I want to go and how do I get there? So if we bring this back to a sales manager today, cliches like always be closing, you know, people buy from people. It doesn't matter how true these are. It's not helpful. Um, what If you're a sales rep today and you've got telemetry about your accounts, about the people you sell to, about the usage of your product, you can see all the, the signals, but you know, in all the, the dashboards, but can you pull the signal out of the noise? Do you, do you know what to prioritize and yeah. action it, right? And I think that's the challenge as leaders today, just pointing out conclusions or statements or data is no longer enough that, that people want real advice from their coaches. They want it to be in time when they can still shape the outcome. They don't want the advice after the outcome. Well, Darren, you missed your number. <laughs> Upon reflection, we've determined you were calling on the wrong accounts in your patch, and we're not even sure you were calling on the right people. So it might be true. It's just not super helpful for me to change the outcome. And I think a lot of us in the past where data was a laggard and maybe came later, got used to reflecting on performance, learning from that performance, and applying it to future performance. Mm. My son wants feedback during his workout now so he can improve the workout before the end of the workout. His expectation for the agile, iterative, you know, self, you know, improvement and process is fundamentally more demanding than, than where I came from, you know, originally started. Which is a really interesting point because therefore, because I talk a lot about feedback and the importance of feedback as, as sales leaders, and we actually have to create that ecosystem where 
it's not just expected, feedback is demanded. And with so much information now at our fingertips, my, my view is that the sales leadership role is even more pivotal to the success, not only of the sales team, but to the organization by doing just what you said. That is taking the information that is available, asking the right questions based on the information that's available, drawing the appropriate conclusions, but putting in some form of action because sometimes, and I've seen this, I've hey, two hands in the air, I've done this myself. I've had a lot of information available to me and I started to pontificate. I started to procrastinate. I started to look at all the ifs, buts, and maybes and ultimately didn't do anything and the time passed. And so the criticality of, as you said, almost real-time feedback is such an important thing. I love your view on, on, I guess, what you're seeing in your marketplace over in the States in terms of sales leaders and their appetite, first of all, but their competency level in being able to do that. Because one of the things I see certainly in Australia is a lot of sales leaders continue today to manage their team and lead their team through absence. They're doing forecasts. They're not doing what you've just talked about. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I I think one of the things you and I um, came across that the common ground was I've for years said to the leaders of my teams, inspection without coaching is micromanagement. And so uh, I think sometimes we think we get the right to inspect because of our title or our role and responsibility. Um, I heard a great phrase once, you get to pull rank once. You can pull title once. After that, you're no longer leading, right? And so you have to pull your title. So as we think about the availability of this data, as we think about the people who are represent the future of our industries, the future of our sales organizations, and they're they're craving this real-time feedback, which we often give them a hard time for millennial participation trophies and wanting pats on the head, when in fact, they're just actually more demanding about wanting to improve their performance faster than yeah. we may been accustomed to. Um, so obviously I'm a, uh, I enjoy an analogy or two. And I was just after getting on my Peloton recently for the first time, two years after I bought it recently, I, I really, <laughs> you're, I just, you're just building up to it. Were you? <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, it, was, it made an excellent uh, coat rack uh, during, during COVID. apparently I have to go out and, and see some folks. But what struck me is my wife's been a cyclist for a long time. My brother runs a bike shop. I've been on a bicycle a number of times, but the first couple of weeks I've been riding this thing, the the video coaches, they're giving you feedback. The entire machine is giving you feedback about how you're riding, when you're riding, all of these different things that I think we all as consumers may take for granted. But it hit me that like, I've been riding a bike for years, but I don't think I actually really understood the relationship between the tempo I was pedaling and the resistance and how that changed the calories I was burning, but they don't wait until I'm done with the ride. Yep. And I get done and says, well, Art, thanks for riding your bike for the last 30 minutes. So you were a little slow at the beginning. And then it seems like you might've been on your phone and got distracted and you finished strong for about 30 seconds at the finish, but that's the modern equivalent of a QBR, right? We yeah. ask our teams to run 90 days out. Yeah. We pull up all the data from what a month ago. We're in the quarter that we're operating in and we start to reflect. And our first question is, is this data right? I don't remember this, this doesn't look right. In 2022 and, and beyond, it, that seems very analog. It seems very out of date. If I'm a seller today, I'm asking, if you knew I was not spending my time properly mm. and you had the data that could tell me that, why wasn't I getting the coaching? Now, back to your point about what's going on here in the States around this digital transformation. Um, People AI is headquartered in California in Silicon Valley. Um, what's cliche as they come, we're an Andreessen Horowitz iconic backed pre-IPO company. We've got a, a um, entrepreneurial CEO. You know, he's he's a, a force of nature, and we've been selling this concept of the digital sales organization, the modern sales organization. And from the very moment you're prospecting all the way through implementation, the culture around it in the traditional digital centers of the United States, California, New York, Boston, DC, and there's some other cities like Austin, Texas, um, Atlanta that are, that are you know, raising their hand in the digital parade. Yep. There is a very stark difference when you start getting into other geographies and other business models where you start asking people about sales methodology. And instead of getting med pick or sales stages, you get we hire people with, and I don't want to offend any specific industry here, but like 
we hire people that know a lot about the auto manufacturing industry because we sell spark plugs to GM, right? And then you're like, oh, cool. So what's the process? Hmm. But Darren knows a lot of people in the auto industry. Put them on the GM account. He attaches the RFPs here. And then we either, you know, win it. And so what's interesting is it's not just the relationship with technology, but I think as, as we've discussed, this modernization or digital transformation, it's not technology that's driving it. It's reimagining a business process, which in our world in sales and marketing should be the buyer and customer journey. Yeah. And just asking some simple questions like, can we do this differently than we did before because we have this technology? Um, and you're seeing the usual bifurcation of people choosing to embrace and be curious about the future and people who've been doing this for a while and perceive that they've gotten a lot of feedback that they've been successful. So why change at this point, right? They've gotten this far. Um, and you know, there's a a lot of cliches to challenge that mindset in my mind that, uh, I think we've seen time and time again, that what got you here is not what's going to get you there. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. So we have to continue to evolve. One of the things you, um, you sort of, we talked about last week, um, before recording this particular podcast was the importance of, I guess, the go-to-market strategy and where in the past the sales team might have sort of had an arm's length kind of relationship with ops or with or with marketing. Now, for a, for a company to be successful and therefore by default for the sales team to be successful, we have to build much better, more closer, collaborative-based relationships with the internal stakeholders because there's so much information that they have and there's so much value they can add. You did talk last week about some four competencies when it comes to to leadership. Um, can you just touch on that? Because I know, I know, again, from your non-traditional pathway, it kind of is more natural and more na- um, makes sense to you. But for the listener who maybe has come up through a traditional sales career, the importance of having, I guess, a collaborative approach from an organizational point of view that will lead to creating a different future, not repeating the past. Yeah, there's, um, as our profession modernizes, and when I say our profession, I consider marketing, selling, and service, like servicing customers, one profession. I know many of us spend time in one of those silos. Mm. Well, to oversimplify it, we're making a promise through marketing. We're connecting that promise with someone's pain, need, and budget. And then our services team deliver on that promise. And the more we do that, we get the flywheel of sales going. So we've got this, the marketing, sales, and services. Where you develop go-to-market strategy and translate go-to-market strategy and execution is at your frontline manager. And that frontline manager has two critical partners in the journey of executing on that strategy. The first partner is the operations teams. It's not just sales ops. It's the operational ecosystem that that sales ops will work with marketing ops that will work with post-sales ops. And then the second partner is enablement. And as we continue to watch, I think our roles get more digital and we can look at many other professions from professional athletes to soldiers. And we've seen what happens when technology makes its way into that profession and how some of the best of the best actually become exponential force multipliers, right? Where they can deploy capabilities because they're so special that maybe weren't possible pre-technology. So back to the frontline manager. If you think your job is to be the best sales rep, you're you're missing out on the full scope and remit of the opportunity you have to lead, um, which is there's four parts to a frontline manager job. And I I think this is what you and I talked about. And I believe this is how we drive go-to-market strategy and, and, and drive our business. If our frontline managers don't get the support and the enablement and the specificity that they have four parts to their job, job one, they've got customers and prospects to manage. That's the tip of the pyramid. That's where they, you know, the North star is managing customers and prospects. They also have a team to manage people looking for promotions, people who just joined their ramping, the, the steady Eddie who's been on board for a long time, you know, that star Susan is about to move to a new division. So there's people, once you have people, any of us who've managed people, comes with complexity. You got a business to manage. You got pipeline, you got opportunities, you got coverage ratios, you got close rates, you got win rates. There's a whole business element to what you have, the resources, your sales capacity and how you're trying to drive it. 
But wedged in between these three responsibilities, the customer, the business, and your team is you. And unless you were gifted with all the natural knowledge about what a frontline manager was, you're going to have to evolve as an individual and start asking questions like, how do I spend my time? Yeah. How much time do I spend coaching? How much time should I spend in front of customers? How much time should I spend managing up? What's my style for resolving conflict? And what I find is we've really orphaned a lot of frontline managers by just congratulating Darren because he's the best salesperson on the team. <laughs> you just left. And if I don't promote Darren, I'm going to lose him. So Darren, here's your frontline sales manager hat. It'll take us a good two or three years to slowly soak those four responsibilities. And you know maybe we'll actually equip you with the capabilities and the clarity you need to do the job. But I really think the frontline manager sales job is one of the most challenging out there. And I'm not really sure collectively as an industry, we're doing everything we can for them. Yeah. But I would close with the frontline manager's relationship between the operational rigor in the company and the enablement and training that's rolled out. The team is not going to be better than their frontline manager. The frontline yeah. manager is going to set the high water mark for that team. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, um, totally agree. Totally agree with that. And I look at the sales letters that were peers of mine back in the day and, and what I'm saying back in the day, you know, five, 10 years ago. And a lot of them had challenges with that. Uh, in a lot of cases, they didn't know where to focus their time. They prioritize some over the other. So when they prioritize, for example, you know, building internal capability or their own, um, their own gravitas for want of a better term internally, that was done at the expense of the customer and also at the expense of the team. So there were some blind spots that were often shown and sometimes those blind spots were a little bit too late. It's like what you were saying about before about the, the feedback after the fact, very, very analog, too late, too late. And so I looked at, I looked at all that and, and I looked into the future. I'm thinking, well, there's so much more data that's coming at us. There's so much more information that's going to be at our fingertips, which in some cases actually makes the sales leader's role uh, even more complicated potentially because... I'm just getting good at this and all of a sudden you're throwing me all this information. What am I going to do with that? So I want to take that as a sort of a, um, a segue into, you might have a sales leader, a number of sales leaders listening to this right now, and they might've been uh, brought up in technology. They are probably thinking, okay, this is all fantastic. I've got so much information that's being thrown at me. I've got all these expectations that the business is throwing at me. I've got my targets. We're behind on target. I've got people who are wanting to leave and all these other things that are going on. How do I cut through the noise, right? So as a, as a sales leader today, where do I prioritize my time? Because I think sometimes people can get overwhelmed with the sheer volume of information that is at their fingertips. But how do I cut through and work out which pieces of information are going to be the most relevant to utilize? No, um, I've had many nicknames throughout my past and career, but the one that maybe I'm most comfortable with and more accurate was Captain Framework, which was giving <laughs> an example times ago. And um, but you, you do have to be leery of frameworks because if you haven't practiced them or you're not ready to put them into practice, they're no more useful than a tool you don't use. Um, but I actually think simplifying in today's world, sometimes simplifying through analogies or stories or simplifying through frameworks is the first step. I already talked about, we live in a world of abundance today. We have an yep. abundance of information, an abundance of access. And a, so the real question is, how do you simplify? And you know, one of the core tenets of leadership is to differentiate between hard things and complicated things. Um, when we encounter hard things, our human nature is to make them sound complicated. So we start developing all these stories as to why. So as leaders, we've got to cut through that. And sometimes hard things are just hard, right? And our job as leaders is to inspire and get people to focus on those hard things. <clears throat> I'm a fan of breaking things down. If I was a sales leader, I think about, you know, there's a three R's, which is recruit, retain, and, and drive revenue. Um, from the moment you understand what your company's product sells, who you sell it to, you should have a talent profile so you know exactly how to go to recruit people. Um, once those people are on board, your job's to drive revenue. And obviously we have sellers that are driving revenue. They retain those folks. So I, I start with simple frameworks like that. Maybe your company has their own framework. Then I'd start looking at what is the what are my most material priorities? So I find one of the hardest skills to develop when we first start moving into leadership 
um, is identifying materiality of whatever we're trying to accomplish. What's the biggest lever to accomplish the mission in the sales world? Is it just raw activity? Do the people who work the hardest end up making the most money? I think we all instinctively know just sheer effort is not enough, right? You can't just say, I'm doing more sales calls than everyone else out there, therefore my W2 will be bigger. Okay, so, but I will tell you that, especially we've learned here at People I, level of activity is a pretty big one, okay? Well, it's a good um, indicator. It's, it's a very good leading indicator. Now, the quality of that activity, right, and who it's with starts to become the next set of questions you want to ask. So one, I would start with a very simple framework in terms of what my big rock responsibilities are for the team. I would yeah. share those with the team. And then I would immediately start moving to, you know, one of our favorite words here, which is what are the leading indicators of what good looks like? Do we have a clear definition of what success looks like? Do we have a clear definition? So take your top 10% of your sellers, just what is what has their activity been in the past? What type of personas have they used? Have they touched all 10 of their accounts or did they index on two of their accounts, right? Yeah. Yeah. In terms of where they were spending their time. Those leading indicators become the platform by which you can then coach on. Yeah. And there's only so many things that you and your team can focus on at any given time. And I, I go back to in this world of bing, beeps, dingles, bingles everywhere, lights and buzzers, <laughs> The biggest thing we can offer as leaders is focus and yes. help, helping people prioritize. Yeah, I know there's a lot of data. There's a lot of things we could know about our customers. There's a lot of things we could know about our business, but there's three things that drive our business. It's this, this, and that. And then marrying that with your operating cadence to ensure that you're inspecting these signals where you can offer coaching to people when they can still affect the outcome. The inspirational ability for me to say, hey, Derek, if you... Yeah you keep riding the bike like this, you're not going to finish the race. And if I, if I tell you that in the first quarter of the race, you're inspired. If I, if I tell you, you know, later on, it has much less impact. So I don't know if I answered your question there. In terms no, I can of- make adjustment along the way. I think that's, that's where you, you talked before about um, inspection without coaching is, is micromanagement. So a lot of people will inspect, but they'll, they'll do it in terms of, hey, uh, you're not making enough calls. You need to up your call rate, right? <laughs> but give me some substance behind that. I mean, what, what's, is there a technique that I'm not using? Do I have my introduction incorrect? Am I leading with a product where I should be leading with questions? All these sort of things. Because I think there are, there are people out there that just get caught up in information overload. And I think that's one of the symptoms potentially of the digital world that we live in as you said, there's so many notifications and there's so much information coming at us every single day that we can sometimes say, hey, it's too much. So I'll go back to doing what I know has worked for me in the past because I feel comfortable. And often there's a level of ignorance here that, hey, I'm, I'm afraid if I stick my neck out and I do something that is incorrect or I make a mistake or whatever the case might be, then it will reflect on me, certainly as a leader. So, so an, an exercise... Um... That, that I've gone through and, and I think it's a good one in terms of if, if I was on this call today, maybe I did not grow up in a technical environment. Maybe I'm, I'm only half following at this point. Like, what are they talking about? More technology? The, the idea here is I would look at my operating cadence. And when I say operating cadence, you have team calls, you have one-on-ones, you have forecast calls, you have this, this operating cadence by which you run your sales team. Mm. Just make a a quick list one day, sit down, write down. I actually just did this exercise with my EA and, and my ops team today. I had us inventory all of our operating cadences. And what I would do if I was, I, I inventory them for this group. I say, okay, is what are the inputs into this session? Even a one-on-one, what do I expect people to bring to the one-on-one? Yeah. And in an ideal scenario, what do I want them coming out of it with? Forecast call, pipeline reviews, account reviews. You can do this to any of the, the classic elements. And ask some questions like, is this an, a lagging analog, like for lack of a better word, old school way of doing this, where we're looking back retrospectively at mm-hmm. what has been, and then I'm judging it, good job, bad job, as opposed to, am I in the boat at that moment of inspection or the operating cadence, where I'm looking at leading indicators and I'm sharing some insights with, with the team or with the individual. Based on this, I'm projecting, mm-hmm. this is what's gonna happen. Can, any, can everyone else see that? Because the more of us that can see this, the, the sooner we can collectively act. Okay, point number two, I would make a list of whether these are 
leading or lagging um, operating cadences. The second thing is, as a leader, if you wrote down mock scenarios that when you rock up, Darren is short on his X or over on his Y, mm -hmm. what questions are you going to ask Darren? Where is your curiosity to lean into his performance so that you earn the right to start coaching versus I believe because A, that takes more preparation, B, it takes more thoughtfulness and C, it's harder. We prefer to look at the result and tell you to make it better. <laughs> <laughs> and I use the analogy that I really think it's a lot of wonderful health and fitness analogies with sales because I don't hire a personal trainer to come in and after the first couple of days of working with me going, right. All right. So got two conclusions. You're not only overweight, you are also slow. And I'm like, great. Okay. I suspected those things. That's why I hired you. So what should I do? You know what I don't want to hear? Get thinner and faster. So all right, if you just got thinner, you'd be a lot faster. I've got my notebook and pen out. I'm like, thanks, mate. I think I could myself. Right? So, what we're looking for is we want someone. So as a leader, if you are have if you have an inspection case, if you ask for a dashboard to get created, if you have access to data, write down what would the questions you would ask someone. So instead of saying make more calls, yeah. Hey Darren, your numbers are behind other people, your pipeline's down, your activity, whatever you're using to inspect. Why do you think that is? Hmm. Do you think more calls would actually help improve your performance? Yep. What do you think your biggest obstacles are in making more calls? And, but you know what? Gosh, this is hard. It's hard as a parent. It's hard as a manager. It's hard as a coach. Do you have the patience to ask the right questions to do the discovery you need so that you can make deposits with this person you're about to coach so that you can inspire them that you care about where they're headed and what outcome they're trying to drive? Yep. You've then earned the right to say, I've asked you some questions, Darren. I've heard your responses. And then are you ready to coach in that moment? Right. And I think that's the challenge. Whereas a lot of us up until this point, our job as managers was driving compliance, driving governance and judging outcomes. And I think the technology is helping making compliance all of this more standard. And now the teams are, are expecting and looking for more. So I also would go through your time as a leader today. And just inventory how much of your time you're spending inspecting governance and compliance yeah. um, versus inspiring or improving performance. Wow. And I reckon that's that's a, a really good point because the message I get from that is, okay, we've got so much information available to us and that can do so much, right? But even with that, let's let's look at how we can, and I don't, I don't say this disrespectfully, dumb it down, but look at for the key elements that will be the drivers to even just incrementally improve somebody's performance. So you can increase your cadence on the bike, because I know that if you can increase cadence on your bike, you'll start to make some improvement. And when you start to see that improvement, guess what? You'll start to get a little bit more of a hit of dopamine. You'll be more, a little bit more motivated and you'll do a little bit more. And that I can be your support coach to incent incentivize you to do even more and give you some feedback. So it's, okay. it's si simplifying it. Yeah, completely. And it's, um, it's actually not dumbing it down. Like to your point, it's not about being disrespectful or respectful. It's the fact that we all are human and we have similar reactions to similar situations. So there's a, I'll let a little inside sales ops joke out into the sales. Sales operators everywhere know the first reaction of every leader, particularly sellers, when they see a number they don't like, is a lot like when I get on the scale at home in front of my wife and the first number flashes up, my first reaction is, that can't be right. <laughs> you, know, you, you want to peek under the scale, you want to move it to a different spot on the floor. You know why? Because you're having an emotional reaction about something you may have even suspected or knew was happening. Yeah. But when you got to face the numbers in raw detail, how many times have we heard in the QBR media sales media like, where these numbers come from? This can't be right. That's actually our human natural reaction, denial, it's ugly, we don't want to face this. And so we're, the excuse department has kicked in and we're, we're coping at that yep. moment. Yeah. The sooner we can get through, and part of that is because we're looking at it after the fact. So what we want to do is we want to look at these, we want to look at different signals. If we just look, if I just look at my weight when I get on the scale, which I often make the analogy that the forecast call, one of the places we get ourselves in so many 
problems today is we try to fix our business in the forecast call mm. when we don't like the answers that we're getting, right? Yeah. So I've stepped on the scale. I don't like the number. It, I see people do this on the forecast call. Like I got to burn some calories. No, no, no. You needed to have burned some calories in the past tense. This is too late. Mm. And if your forecast calls are hours on end and your answers to the questions are more than one or two words, if you have story time forecast call where you're yeah. telling stories and stuff, you know, you're, in my opinion, you're, you're maybe spending too much time trying to manage your business in the forecast call. Yeah. If we move further upstream and we start looking at leading indicators, like who are we meeting with? How often are we meeting with them? What's our conversion rate from those touch points to the next step? Yeah. And if our meetings and sales is the equivalent to calories, who knew this was going to turn into a health and fitness? <laughs> who would have known? But if you think about who you meet with, in the volume of who you meet with is calories, right? We all know you can eat 2000 calories and it could either be sugar or yep. probably terrible international conversion. <laughs> You're not eating 2000 grams down there. Um, but so in terms of, if we thought about who we meet with, the volume and frequency as calories or, or what we're eating in terms of food, and then you move to, the how, your sales methodology, your sales process, your sales stage. Think of that as your workout routine. Uh. The forecast call is just the scale. It's just showing you feedback in terms of how you actually performed on your leading indicators of your level of activity and who you met with, and then the process you followed. And did you ask yourself the right questions? Did you do the right discovery? Did you have quality interactions, right? Yeah. yeah. The result you want. Yeah, absolutely. Makes a lot more sense. And uh, one of the things I, I often talk to leaders about, and, and particularly when they're confused as to what to focus on, I said, first and foremost, your job is to define reality. However uh, unpalatable that reality might be, you need to define reality because that becomes your foundation. Now you start looking at what are the things, what are the activities that you need to start putting in place that can start to change that reality. So don't get caught up on why is it here? Because, hey, you're probably like me. Every time you get a sales target, you think, oh, my God, <laughs> there must be a mistake. There must be a, a, too many zeros there or the comma's been put in the wrong spot. It's a reality, right? Now it's a case of how do I do that? And what we're talking about is what are the levers? What are the activities? What's the thinking method we have to put in place in order to give ourselves the opportunity of hitting that? But the most important thing is what sort of cadence do we put in place so that we're measuring the progress we're not keeping our eye on the price necessarily. Yeah, I mean, um, part of the discomfort that we have to get comfortable with around managing to leading indicators is the very concept that bad news does not get better like wine with time. Um, bad indicators of performance rarely improve on their own. So if we can't get comfortable with being uncomfortable we're going to have a very hard time managing in, you know, ahead of the outcomes. Mm -hmm. We can just kind of hope it gets better. I, I told Darren to do more sales calls. I, if he doesn't, I'm going to fire him. We're very quick to the consequence. If he doesn't, I'm going to fire him. Great. You can hire and fire people, you know, so many times, but can you actually develop and cultivate and make the talent you have better? Which means you have to be able to inspect uncomfortable or, or disconcerting information not have a reaction, synthesize that information and actually become a coach and a partner with that person and say, hey, Darren, I think we can both see that this level of activity is not going to get us where we want to. Or your win rate in these claims and calls in the past has been X and Y. So here's what we're going to do, right? And here's how we're going to improve that moving forward. And here's how you're going to know you're making progress yeah. on that journey as you, as you move forward. Yeah. And I, I, think, I think to your point that if it's uncomfortable for people to, you, you mentioned like the first responsibility and I agree with you in terms of a leader starting with reality, right? I, I call it the what is that yep. um, for leaders that I work with and partner with, we, we all have to start with a what is. If we don't start with the real what is, um, we don't know what path or plan to put in place. And as someone who's been asked to drive forecast accuracy at a number of companies, I've told folks that, look, the forecast is one person and one person's responsibility only. And that's the salesperson and the sales leader and the sales team. Mm. Calling what number, what the number is, that's on us exclusively in sales. Exceeding and hitting the target is a team effort. 
that involves the quality of your product, the competitiveness of it, the pricing, the, the marketing. There's, there's this whole ecosystem built here to help us yeah. smash to and through the target. The ecosystem doesn't know how to serve you if you lie to them about the gap of what needs to get done. And so if I'm, if, if you think of marketing and services and leadership as a coach to help you run a faster mile time, and I ask you, how fast do you run a mile, Darren? And you tell me seven minutes. And I'm like, okay, great, mate. We're going to try and get you down under five minutes, four minutes for the Olympics. I bring out with all of the teams to help you my plan to shave three minutes off your mile time. If the quarter closes and you run your first mile and you run a 12 minute mile, <laughs> we're both done. I, I, would have, I would have brought different tools to help you. And so yep. our first job is getting to that what is so that we know what level of intensity of coaching to apply. Or if we have a bigger problem, you can get out in front of it as a leader because the more we make our day-to-day -day execution predictable, the further out in the future we can live as leaders. And our job as leaders is to live in the future of our team, see where it's going, see where it's headed, meet them back where they are today. Yeah. Help, help them see what's going on and bridge the gap of from where we are, where we need to go. Yeah, love it. Love it. Totally, totally agree. So mate, as we, uh, as we wrap up, um, I'm just going to assume there's, there's maybe a sales leader listening right now who might be pretty new uh, or there's an aspiring sales leader that's carrying the bag at the moment, but they think, Oh, I've, I've, I've got the desire. I want to be a, I want to be a sales leader. If we were talking to those people today and having a sort of a one-on-one -on -one conversation and they asked, so uh, what would be the number one thing that I should be focusing on? as a newish sales leader or a sales leader wanting to reestablish myself and reinvent myself, um, what would it be? As a question without notice. Yeah. <laughs> Three things. Um, the first one is I would either inquire, demand, or inspire the creation of a frontline manager training program at the company I work at. I would seek it out if it exists and I would consume it voraciously like a new season of a tv series on netflix i would just i would go deep on it and i would really become a part of that and i would through that process look to partner and build relationships with my my enablement and operation teams or training and operations teams which brings me to the second topic the most common piece of advice i give to emerging sales leaders is to think and build relationships cross-functionally a lot of us grew up in a competitive sales environment, posting scores, wanting up, one, one upping the guy next to us, the woman next to us. Everyone's trying to do a little bit better and, and grow. And what we end up doing is we get confirmation bias that the people that matter are salespeople who sell things. And everyone else is some inconvenient add-on at the company that is here for some reason, but we're not sure. And I will tell you, your ability to scale as a sales leader will be very limited. Um, I, I actually think it was limited in the past, but even more so in the future. If you can't cultivate, recruit, and build internal champions in the functions that are going to have such an effect on your future as you move from frontline to second line. So one, become an expert on your frontline manager program. If there isn't one, yep. partner with your training and ops team to build one and offer to volunteer to be the guinea pig. Number two, if all you do over the next five to 10 years of your career is hang out with salespeople and compare golf handicaps and, and models of your sports cars, you, you're going to, you know, you'll do some things well and you'll get some big checks. But in order to transition into that fully functional leader, you're going to need the vocabulary, uh, the empathy and understanding of what the finance department goes through, what the operations teams go through, what those marketers that you've had so much fun, you know, making jokes about at sales kickoff are doing. If you increase your understanding, it'll drive better empathy. And then you'll be able to put more of the business to work with your team. Um, and those are the sort of things that senior leaders see when they see frontline leaders like, holy cow, it's not just a meathead bobblehead sales doll there. That, that person actually understands the business we're in. They're getting curious about it. And then I would finish with really make sure you're spending dedicated introspection time on how you're spending your time, how your team is spending their time, um, and where you could improve that. Like time is our most precious commodity in sales. I think we all know that. Um, yeah. These systems, which so many of us sellers want to, and I don't mean just software, I mean these systems of doing things, sales methodologies, process. Boy, we love the phrase micromanagement. I always wonder if 
Tom Brady, a famous American football player who just retired. I wonder if he felt micromanaged by the telemetry that they used for him to deliver the performance he had over the last 20 years. Professionals in 2020 are instrumented, like 2020 and beyond, like the modern era. We're instrumented. There's no one out there that's performing. Formula One drivers aren't driving their cars with someone else telling, like, like where they're keeping their own speed of their car. They've got a million data points by which to drive their performance. Yeah. As fellows, we got to get over this emotional threshold that somehow our time is our private time and and no one has a right to 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 be interested in what they're they're not our accounts. We're renting them from the company. That's it. That's it. They're online. Pipeline and activity. So absolutely. Um, those would be the three things I would like lean into a frontline manager program, think and act cross-functionally, get curious, learn more about the parts around you. And then last, be very introspective in terms of your role and making sure you're serving your own skills development in addition to trying to develop others. Um, you've got to work on yourself to lead. Yeah, which means you've got to you've got to allocate time to do that, to think. Because a lot of people give you an excuse, oh Art, I'm just so busy, right? I've got so many appointments to to get done i've got so many reviews to get done i just don't have time to sit down and think well you know what as a leader that's one of your key responsibilities as you've alluded to you've got to do it because it'll it'll pay dividends massively mate hey uh, this has been a phenomenal conversation for those that are listening how do we how do we learn more about art where where's the best place to connect with the great art harding I'll, I'll leave the uh, special art and the great art for people to make their own decisions, but um, I appreciate the compliments. It's been a lot of fun, Darren. Thanks for having me on today. Um, there's a couple of places. One, you can always go to the People AI website. Um, I'm there with the rest of our leadership team. The entire leadership team of People AI have a passion for everything I just talked about in terms of unlocking human potential using technology for sales. Number two, hit me up on LinkedIn, Art Harding, People AI, COO. Um, and then third, um, you can send me a carrier pigeon or smoke signal email <laughs> Art, art at people.ai. <laughs> There's a chance if you're an aspiring BDR, you might get through that. But uh, <laughs> I, would, I would tell you LinkedIn um, or uh, coming in through the website would be your highest chance of connecting with me. Um, but feel free to drop me an email at art at people.ai and uh, do your best. Awesome. awesome. No, that's, that's awesome. I'll put, the, um, I'll put your contact details on the show notes. And obviously this will go up on LinkedIn. I'll make sure the, the contact details are there on LinkedIn as well. So um uh, I know it's uh, I know it's a different time of day uh, over where you are. So thank you for spending some time in your afternoon uh, to jump on the podcast. Greatly appreciate it. Really enjoyed the conversation, and I'm sure the listeners have got a huge amount of value uh, out of that. So um, and once again, thanks for uh, thanks for joining, and have a wonderful rest of your day. Cheers. Thanks, Darren. Good day, mate. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. I trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show, subscribe to the show so other people can find it. But also, if I can help you, jump on my calendar, go to leadwithdarren.com and let's have a conversation about how I can help you along your journey to being exceptional.